Good morning. At this time, we have our scripture reading, which will be this morning in John chapter 18, verses 15 through 27. Simon Peter followed Jesus, and so did another disciple. Since that disciple was known to the high priest, he entered with Jesus into the courtyard of the high priest. But Peter stood outside at the door. So the other disciple, who was known to the high priest, went out and spoke to the servant girl who kept watch at the door and brought Peter in. The servant girl at the door said to Peter, you also are not one of this man's disciples, are you? He said, I am not. Now the servants and officers made a, had made a charcoal fire because it was cold and they were standing and warming themselves. Peter also was with them, standing and warming himself. The high priest then questioned Jesus about his disciples and his teaching. Jesus answered him, I have spoken openly to the world. I have always taught in the synagogues and in the temple, where all the Jews come together. I have said nothing in secret. Why do you ask me? Ask those who have heard me what I said to them. They know what I said. When he had said these things, one of the officers standing by struck Jesus with his hand, saying, Is this how you answer the high priest? Jesus answered him, If what I said is wrong, bear witness about the wrong. But if what I said is right, why do you strike me? Annas then sent him bound to Caiaphas, the high priest. Now Simon Peter was standing and warming himself. So they said to him, you also are not one of his disciples, are you? He denied it and said, I am not. One of the servants of the high priest, a relative of the man whose ear Peter had cut off, asked, did I not see you in the garden with him? Peter again denied it. And at once, a rooster crowed. This is the word of the Lord. Good morning. It's good to be with you, church. Um, as I was praying this morning, I was just struck really by the gift and weight and joy it is to preach the gospel. Um, two thoughts were in my mind. One, these are the precious words of God. And two, you are the precious people of God. And it is, it's an honor to open the word together and to hear the words of Jesus. And so if you're new here, uh, we are going through the Gospel of John. We have been for all of 2019, and we will pretty much, I guess, through the end of 2019. Uh, and so we're nearing the end. Uh, we're in chapter 18. And so if you're wondering what the Gospel of John is all about, Fortunately, John gives us a thesis statement about uh, really what it's all about. He says this near the end, chapter 20. He says, I am writing these things, or I've written these things so that you might believe that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of God, and that by believing in him, you might have life in his name. So he's written these things that we would see Jesus, we would believe in Jesus, and as we believe in Jesus, we would have life. And so we keep coming back to that same verse. And so we're all the way in chapter 18 now. We've gone through 17 chapters and some of 18. 
One commentator has helped sort of organize uh, or describe the organization of the book in this way. He says, the first 12 chapters describe the signs of the Son of God, his public display of his glory, of who he is. Chapters 13 through 17 talk about the secrets of the Son of God, what he says in his talk in the upper room and what he says and, and reveals in his walk on the Gethsemane Road. And in chapter 18, 19, 20, 21, these last four chapters, we see the sorrows of the Son of God. And so it takes a turn. Not only has the narrative slowed down, but it turns dark. And we see that Jesus is a man of sorrows. Pete said weeks ago, maybe months ago, that Jesus was the happiest man ever. And he was right. He had, he had the joy of knowing and living in perfect unity and, and harmony with God the Father and God the Spirit, and yet he was a man of sorrows because he took on our sorrows. And so we are not yet at the cross, but we can begin seeing the sorrows of the Son of God. And so we're going to see three things in this passage that Chip uh, has described as maybe familiar to us, and I think that's accurate. You might be very familiar with this text. Three things that this text is going to teach us, I think ultimately about ourselves and ultimately about Jesus, because it is presenting us with those two things. The, the text in many ways sort of toggles back and forth, switches back and forth between describing Peter, Jesus's foremost uh, leading disciple, one of sort of the inner three, and Jesus. And skillfully, he's describing intentionally these two parts of the narrative uh, in conflict and in contradiction, but also in, in unity together. And as we look at Peter, and as we look at Jesus, I think we're going to see three things. The first is this, the costly call of discipleship, that Christ has called us into costly discipleship. Second, we're going to see the broken heart of humanity, Specifically, as we look at Peter, we will see a reflection, a mirror of ourselves, and we'll see our own broken hearts. And then third, we'll see the faithful suffering of Jesus, the man of sorrows, who's borne our grief and borne our loneliness and borne in our shame. So you might be asking, what about that first part? Call, the call to discipleship, I thought that might have happened earlier in the text, earlier in the gospel. Where is that? Let's, let's pick up in verse 15. Simon Peter followed Jesus, and so did another disciple, probably John. There's sort of a debate among commentators, but most land on this is probably John talking about himself. It starts with this, Simon Peter followed Jesus, because that's who Simon Peter is. We meet Simon Peter, or just Peter, as a disciple of Jesus. Early in the gospel, Peter, I mean, Jesus came to Peter and said, follow me, and he followed him. He left his primary allegiances, his family, his job, all of the familiarity of life, and followed Jesus in single-minded obedience, in costly discipleship. And, and, and there's some things that we learn about Peter's discipleship that teaches us something about our following Jesus. The first is this, that there is great wonder and joy and glory in following Jesus. Just think for a moment at what Peter got to see. He had a front row, first-hand experience of the glory of Jesus. So, so think about some of these things. He was at the wedding feast at Cana when Jesus turned water into wine. He was there. Later in that chapter, he was there when Jesus, with full authority, overturned the temple. 
He was there to hear the words of Jesus. The words for the very first time come off the tongue of the Son of God. The I am statements, the seven I am statements we see in John, the Sermon on the Mount, the parables of Jesus, letting us into the kingdom of God, seeing what it's like. He was there to hear those words from Jesus. He went up on the Mount of Transfiguration. He saw the glory of Jesus revealed. He, he ate of, of the miraculous feeding of the 5,000. He saw Jesus heal the blind, heal the broken, heal the sick. He saw Jesus just two chapters ago raise Lazarus from the dead. And just in chapter 13, or not two chapters ago, all the way back in 11 actually, seven chapters ago. But in chapter 13, he got to sit with Jesus in the upper room and have Jesus wash his feet and break bread with Jesus. And then he was with Jesus this night in the Garden of Gethsemane. He got to see and experience the glory of and the wonder of following Jesus. Because following Jesus is good. We were made for it. But it is also costly. And so the Gospels teach us, and Peter teaches us, that discipleship is costly. This is what we read in Mark 9. Sorry, Mark 8. This is what Jesus says in Mark 8. He's talking to Peter and the disciples. He says this. If anyone would come after me, let him deny himself. Take up his cross and follow me. For whoever would save his life will lose it. But whoever loses his, my, loses his life for my sake and the gospels will save it. So Jesus calls us to be disciples. And he says it's going to be costly. It's going to involve dying to yourself. It's going to involve leaving behind these things. But there's a phrase in there that is so important for our study of John 18. If anyone would come after me, let him deny himself. Discipleship is denial, is the denial of self. And when we say no to someone, we're saying yes to someone else. When we say yes to something, we're saying no to something else. Think about it from the smallest thing to the biggest thing. When you choose to have something for lunch, you're choosing not to have something else. When you choose to go to one college, you're choosing not to go to another. When you choose to cheer for one sports team, you should, you should be cheering to not cheer for, you know, another team or whatever. Or houses. We just bought a house. We're in the process of buying a house. When you choose one house, you don't choose another house. And maybe most importantly for us, when you choose a spouse, you forsake all others. You say no to everyone else. And so Jesus, in calling us to discipleship, is calling us to deny ourselves, to look at ourselves and say, I don't know the man. To deny ourselves, say no to ourselves, and say yes to Jesus. And so that is the context. That's what we have to have in the back of our mind when we come to this familiar passage of Peter denying Jesus, that he was called to be a man who denied himself and followed Jesus. And so the first thing we learn is, is the costly call of discipleship. Let me ask you just a, a question, a diagnostic question before we move to point two. What does it look like for you today to deny yourself and follow Jesus? How is Jesus calling you to deny yourself today? Perhaps it is in your desires and wish dreams and desire for perhaps control over your future 
over your life. Perhaps it is in moving towards a friend or family member or neighbor or even enemy. Perhaps it is just in your devotional life. Where is Christ calling you to deny yourself? Discipleship is denial. And it's, and it's death to self and life in Christ. So the second thing we find in this text, which is tragic, is the broken heart of humanity. We learn this through the failings of Peter. Pick up with me in verse 17. He has come to this place as a disciple. He is in this court of a high priest because he has followed Jesus. And then verse 17, the servant girl at the door said to Peter, you also are not one of this man's disciples, are you? He said, I am not. Now the servants and officers had made a charcoal fire because it was cold, and they were standing and warming themselves. Peter also was with them, standing and warming himself. Drop down to verse 25. Now now Simon Peter was standing and warming himself, so they said to him, You also are not one of his disciples, are you? He denied it and said, I'm not. I think it's significant just to pause for a second and say, right after Jesus has said, In his arrest, are you Jesus, they ask, and he says, I am, and they fall down. Here is Peter uttering only one phrase in this entire passage, and it is just this, I am not. So Jesus is identifying himself, and here's Peter not identifying himself with Jesus. I am not, he says for the second time. One of the servants, verse 26 Of the high priest, a relative of the man whose ear Peter had cut off, asked, Did I not see you in the garden with him? Peter again denied it, and at once a rooster crowed. The second thing we see in this text is bleak, and it's tragic, and it is less uh, a telescope into the life of Peter. It is that first, but then second, it is also a mirror into our own lives, seeing our own selves. We see the broken heart of Peter. We see what is really in him. So John had, had dropped this, this re- overlooked but really significant uh, sort of aside in chapter 2 that I think is important for us. He said this in John chapter 2, verses 24 through 25, about Jesus. Jesus did not entrust himself to them because he knew all people and needed no one to bear witness about man, for he, he himself knew what was in man. He knew all people. He himself knew what was in man. He knew, he knows us. Jesus knows what's going on in here. Jesus knows me better than I know me. He, knew, he knows you better than you know you. He knows Peter better than Peter knows Peter, right? And he knows that his heart is broken. And it's fa- in fact, because Jesus knows what's in our heart, that Jesus came in the first place. He knew we needed a Savior even when we didn't know that. And so he's come for us because he, he knows us. And so we can see, as the narrative unfolds, as John unfolds, we can see, begin to see what Jesus saw in Peter. We can see that Peter is a disciple, but a flawed disciple, an imperfect disciple, a broken disciple. So, so consider a couple of these examples. There's the classic example in, in, uh, in Mark, Right before the passage I just mentioned in 8, Jesus asks Peter, who do people say I am? And he says, some people say John the Baptist, some people say Elijah, some people say a prophet. He says, who do you say I am? 
This is his moment to shine. He says, you're the Christ. And Jesus says, yes. And he blesses him. And there's this profound language where he says, on you, on the foundation of the apostles, perhaps on the, uh, on the foundation of the apostolic witness to, the, to Jesus as the Christ, I'm going to build my church. And right after this moment, Jesus says, and the Son of Man must suffer and die and rise. And Peter doesn't like that. And Peter doesn't get that. And Peter pulls him aside and rebukes Jesus. And then Jesus rebukes Peter. He says, get behind me, Satan. Because Peter doesn't get it. Peter wants the kingdom without the cross. He doesn't see that this whole gospel thing is going to take the death of Christ. And it's not going to go the way he expects. Fast forward to a couple other stories, even in John. Just a moment ago, right? In, in a, basically a week before this is happening, earlier in the week, Jesus is washed, comes to wash his disciples' feet. And what does Peter do? He rejects that at first. He says, no, I should wash your feet. Just think about the significance of that. Jesus has come to wash Peter, and he says, no, no, no. I'll, I'll work for you. I'll serve you. I'll wash your feet. And Jesus says, it's not, it's not how it works. Or even just in John chapter 18, a few verses ago, in the Garden of Gethsemane, right? This crazy moment where they come, hundreds of people, and Jesus says, I am, and they fall down. And you'd think, okay. But then Peter takes out a sword and cuts a guy's ear off. Peter doesn't get it. He just saw Jesus do that, and so then he's going to get up and take out a sword and and defend Jesus, perhaps? Fight with Jesus? I'm not sure exactly what's going on in his head. But the most telling, I think, is in chapter 13, which connects exactly to this passage that we're in today. Peter said to Jesus in chapter 13, verses 37 through 38, Lord, why can I not follow you now? Referring to the cross, where Jesus is going. And then he says this. Listen to this phrase that Peter says to Jesus. I will lay down my life for you. Jesus answered, will you lay down your life for me? I wish I could understand the emphasis of that. Uh, I wish there was italics. I don't know if it's, will you lay down your life for me? Or is it like, will you lay down your life for me? I just wonder what, what is the tone there. I don't know. Will you lay down your life for me? Truly, truly, I say to you, the rooster will not crow till you have denied me three times. What I want to say is this. Peter's not off a little bit. It's not a few degrees. He's got it completely backwards. This is the nature of our broken hearts. We're not just a little, little off. We've got it completely backwards. We think, I got to do stuff for God, and I can. I just got to be a good enough disciple. I got to wash his feet, his feet, his feet. I got to lay my life down for him. He doesn't get it. He's got it completely backwards, and he misunderstands that the gospel assumes not that we're perfect disciples, but that we are broken, sinful disciples needing of a perfect Savior. So he gets it completely backwards, and then we come to chapter 18, and it shouldn't surprise us that when a little girl opens the door and says, hey, aren't, you're not one of his disciples, are you? And immediately after years of walking with Jesus and of seeing all these things, he denies him. He says, I'm not. And then he goes and he warms himself by the fire and another person, an official, says, are you his disciple? He says, I'm not. 
And then somebody comes up who's, who's related to Malchus, whose ear was cut off by Peter. Are you Jesus' disciple? And he denies it. Because he is doing what we do. He's denying Jesus. He, he is betraying what is actually going on in his heart. That he's a broken man. That his way to salvation is not being good enough. His way to salvation is in that room, in that person who's being interrogated. And so the two things we see in this text first are the call of discipleship and the brokenness of our heart. And I asked you first, where do we need to deny ourselves? Let me ask you a second question. Where in your life are you, like Peter, denying Jesus? Where are you denying him? Perhaps it's in the way you relate to other people. Perhaps it's in the way you think about your future, you think about your obligations. Perhaps it's just in a moment of insecurity. Maybe you denied knowing him when people might persecute you. What does denying Jesus look like for you? Because we are like Peter. When we look at this text, we're not supposed to look at Jesus and say, yeah, I'm like him. Peter, that guy's a, he's a jerk. He doesn't get it. No, we look at Peter and say, I'm like Peter. I get into a, a hard situation, and what I thought this was going to lead to doesn't happen. I start denying Jesus to, to the first person who asks if I'm with him. And so we see that our hearts are like Peter. But then we come to the third part of this text, nestled right in the middle, hidden right in plain sight, beautifully interwoven into the text. We see Peter, and we see Peter, but right in the middle we see Jesus. And so let's read this, verses 19 through 24. The high priest then questioned Jesus about his disciples and about his teaching. Side note, the reason he's asking about them and what's significant about this and what Jesus pushes back on is that this trial is all messed up to start. It's a faulty, broken, unlawful trial. And in ancient Jewish trial, the way it goes is you question not the person on trial, but witnesses. And there's no witnesses here. The witnesses are out in the courtyard denying him. And here he is facing this unlawful trial. He's being questioned about his disciples and his teaching. Verse 20, Jesus answered him, I've spoken openly to the world. I've always taught in synagogues and in the temple where all Jews come together. I have said nothing in secret, which means nothing that I've said to my disciples privately is fundamentally different than what I'm saying in public. My message has been the same. It's been consistent. Why do you ask me? Ask those who have heard me what I said to them. They know what I said. And when he said these things, one of the officers standing by struck Jesus with his hand, saying, is that how you answer the high priest? Jesus answered him, if what I said is wrong, bear witness about the wrong. But if what I said is right, why do you strike me? Annas then sent him bound to Caiaphas, the high priest. So we see in Peter a man who is called to deny himself and follow Jesus, but did the exact opposite and denied Jesus and followed his own way. 
And then right in the middle of the story, we find this profound juxtaposition. And we see Jesus, the exact opposite of Peter. So think about just what has happened to Jesus in the, this evening alone. And in an act of mob justice with fire and swords, he was arrested and brought to an unfair, unlawful trial and then was hit brutally by somebody who's supposed to be an official. Jesus is the Son of God. God become human. God became human, took on flesh, and was arrested and was slapped in the face and was mocked and was abandoned by even his closest friends, his closest disciples. And so just think about the difference between Peter and Jesus in this story. Peter is facing minimal challenge. And he, he gives up immediately. And he denies Jesus. He bears false witness. Jesus' life is on the line. And he bears witness to the truth. He speaks truly about who he is and what he has done. Peter is sinfully defending and covering for himself. He is afraid of man. He is self-preserving, while Jesus is freely offering himself, even though he's done nothing wrong. Peter is falsely defending his honor. Jesus is truly suffering. Peter is warming himself by the fire. He's cozy with the very enemies of God, those who have arrested him, while Jesus is alone. And most importantly for what we're talking about right now, Peter is denying Jesus and going his own way, and Jesus is denying himself for the sake of Peter and for the sake of you and for the sake of the world. And so this juxtaposition of Peter and Jesus shows us the gospel. The gospel of Jesus is this. Though you and I are traitors. Our natural way of life is mutiny against the kingdom of God. Though you and I are traitors, Jesus has taken on our shame, has taken on our loneliness, taken on our brokenness, taken on our punishment, so that we might be reconciled with him, so that we might have life, so that we might be forgiven, so that we might have a new heart that is able to follow Jesus. And so right in the middle of this, we see the gospel. We see that Jesus has taken our place. But this isn't the end of the story. It doesn't end here. It is going to get darker and bleaker and more sinister and sadder, but it's also going to get brighter and sweeter, and the good news is going to get better. Because in the next few chapters, Jesus is going to die for our sins and for the sins of Peter. He's going to, he's going to bear our sins and bear our grief and bear our shame even more than he is in this moment so that we might be reconciled to him. And so Jesus is going the way of the cross, and Peter goes off in his own way. And then we come to this wonderful story in chapter 21, which I'm not going to spend a lot of time in now. We'll come to it in a few weeks. 
where Peter's fishing. And Jesus, who has died for Peter and who is now risen from the dead, comes to the shore and calls out to the disciples who are fishing unsuccessfully and says, throw over the other side. And they catch a ton of fish. And then somebody says, that's Jesus. And so Peter jumps out of the boat because Peter's still Peter. And he swims to Jesus 100 yards, which is probably a good swim. And then they start having a meal. They have breakfast together. And during that meal, Jesus asks him, Peter, do you love me? Do you love me? Do you love me? Three times. And Peter is sad. He's broken. And, I, and this is when Peter gets the gospel, I think. He gets that Jesus has died and has risen for him. And this is the moment of his reconciliation, his restoration to the Son of God, to Christ, who has died for him and has risen. And he's with him. Though he denied him, Christ has come back to him. Though, though his sins are many, Jesus' mercy is more as we sing. And so Peter is a picture of grace to us. We see the grace of Jesus played out in the story of Peter. And his denial is something that we look at and we say, that's me. And we see the forgiveness that Jesus offers him and we say, that's what I need. That is, that is what my identity is staked on. So as we prepare our hearts for the table, for the Lord's Supper, for communion, let me remind you that we, like Peter, get to have a meal with Jesus that reminds us that we are reconciled and restored to Jesus through what he has done for us. And we are deniers of Jesus, but Jesus has taken our place. So let's pray as we prepare our hearts for the Lord's Supper. Father, thank you for this sad story, the story of Peter's, this true story of Peter's denial of you. Thank you that, it, that we can know if even Peter is so quick to deny you instead of himself, that we are like Peter. We are quick to deny you. And so that is why we need the gospel every day. Lord, help us to see Christ, and as we see him, believe in him, and as we believe in him, to have life in him. Lord, thank you for the table, which teaches us and reminds us that Jesus has bled for us so that we could live. We praise in Jesus' name. Amen.